Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This will be Alma chapter 29 this time. So now we're going to have Alma explaining a few things here, and we're going to start off with verse 1. Oh, that I were an angel. And I know that a lot of you, uh, as I just said that, are just are thinking about the song. That song comes into your mind. I'm sure it does. Yeah, I'm sure, you, I'm sure that's what you're thinking. Uh, Alma is probably wishing he could be like the angel who visited him and brought him the message of salvation. With the Book of Mormon going to every nation of the earth, Alma is in effect speaking as an angel to all peoples. Even today, Alma is an angel. Remember that in a few chapters, Alma disappears and the idea is that he is translated. So I think he must have gotten his wish. Continuing verse 1, And could have the wish of mine heart that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God with a voice to shake the earth and cry repentance unto every people. Heber J. Grant said, I believe that every Latter-day Saint who has received a testimony of the divinity of the work in which we are engaged has this same feeling that Alma had, a desire that all the world might hear the testimony of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When men and women receive a testimony of the divine mission of the prophet Joseph Smith, they are anxious that all the world should have that same knowledge and faith. They are anxious that the gospel should go to every honest soul, and there is no other labor in all the world that brings to a human heart, judging from my own personal experience, more joy, peace, and serenity than proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yea, I would declare unto every soul as with the voice of thunder, just like the angel that visited him, repentance and the plan of redemption, that they should repent and come unto our God, that there might not be more sorrow upon all the face of the earth. But behold, I am a man and do sin in my wish, for I ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. We need to magnify the callings we've been given. I ought not to har harrow up in, in my desires the firm decree of a just God, for I know that he granteth unto men according to their desire. Elder Packer said, there is something important about our deciding that we want to be a good teacher or a good parent. There is something equally important about making that desire known to the Lord. Many of us have the desire, but we keep it to ourselves. An important key is turned when we go through the formality of stating our desires to him who can grant them. Elder Maxwell said, desire denotes a real longing or craving. Hence, righteous desires are much more than passive preferences or fleeting feelings. Of course, our genes, circumstances, and environments matter very much, and they shape us significantly. Yet there remains an inner zone in which we are sovereign, unless we abdicate. In this zone lies the, the essence of our individuality and our personal accountability. Mostly, brothers and sisters, we become the victims of our own wrong desires. Like it or not, therefore, reality requires that we acknowledge our responsibility for our desires. Righteous desires need to be relentless. Therefore, because, said President Brigham Young, the men and women who desire to obtain seats in the celestial kingdom will find that they must battle every day. Therefore, true Christian soldiers are more than weekend warriors. Some of our present desires, therefore, need to be diminished and then finally dissolved. Continuing the verse, whether it be unto death or unto life, yea, I know that he allotteth unto men, yea, decreeth unto them decrees which are unalterable according to their wills, whether they be unto salvation or unto destruction. Elder Maxwell said, all of this brings us now to the need to examine a doctrine within a doctrine within a doctrine. Within the plan of salvation is the doctrine of pre-mortal existence. We then encounter the delicate but important 
doctrine of foreordination. The doctrine of foreordination is one of the doctrinal roads least traveled by, yet it clearly underlines how very long and how perfectly God has loved each of us and, and known each of us and with our individual needs and capacities. It is so powerful a doctrine, however, that isolated from other doctrines or mishandled, it can induce false pride, stoke the fires of fatalism, impact adversely upon agency, cause us to focus on status rather than service, and carry us over into the false doctrine of predestination. The truth about foreordination also helps us to taste of the other deep wisdom of Alma. He said, we ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto us, each of us. If indeed the things allotted to each of us have, have been divinely customized, then why should I desire more than to perform the work to which I have been called? So should we regard the dispensation of the fullness of times. Even when we face stern challenges and circumstances, these are great days. Our hearts need not fail us. We can be equal to our challenges. Henry D. Moyle said, I am sure today in our lives many of us wish that we were something other than we are, thinking likely that their lot is preferable to our own. But Alma said further, I would declare unto every soul as with the voice of thunder, repentance in the plan of redemption, that they should repent and come unto our God, that there might not be more sorrow upon the face of the earth. I believe that, that we as fellow workers in the priesthood might well take to heart the admonition of Alma and be content with that which God hath allotted us. We might well be assured that we had something to do with our allotment in our pre-existent state. This would be an additional reason for us to accept our present condition and make the best of it. It is what we agreed to do. We had our own free agency in our premortal existence, and whatever we are today is likely the result of that which we willed to be here, heretofore. We unquestionably knew before we elected to come to this earth the conditions under which we would here exist and live and work. So little wonder it is that Alma of old said that we sin in the thought or in the desire or in the wish that we were someone other than ourselves. I have a conviction deep down in my heart that we are exactly what we should be, each one of us, except as we may have altered that pattern by deviating from the laws of God here in mortality. I have convinced myself that we all have those peculiar attributes, characteristics, and abilities which are essential for us to possess in order that we may fulfill the full purpose of our creation here upon this earth. Once again, that allotment which has come to us from God is a sacred allotment. It is something of which we should be proud, each one of us in our own right, and not wish that we had somebody else's allotment. Our greatest success comes from being ourselves. I think that we can console ourselves best by believing that whatever is our allotment in life, whatever is our call in the priesthood, the Lord has been wise and just, and I might add merciful, in giving to us that which we need to accomplish the particular purpose of our call. Verse 5, Yea, and I know that good and evil have come upon all men. He that knoweth not good from evil is blameless. Those that are not accountable are not held guilty, but are redeemed through the atonement of Christ. But he that knoweth good and evil, to him it is given according to his desires, whether he desireth good or evil, life or death, joy or remorse of conscience. Given the necessary time, both the righteous and the unrighteous desires of our hearts will find a way to express themselves. This is a simple manifestation of the verity that desires govern our choices, and choices take us where we really want to go. It is also inherent in the plan of salvation that judgment involves a perfect blend of works and desires. Thus, if we really wanted to do something, be it good or evil, but were unable to do it because of circumstances beyond our control, short of our repenting, a just God will reward or punish us as if we had actually done it. The laws of God can reward a righteous desire or attitude because an omniscient God can determine it 
if a person does not perform a particular commandment because he is genuinely unable to do so, but truly would if he could, our Heavenly Father will know this and will reward that person accordingly. Upon the same principle, evil thoughts or desires are sinful under the laws of God, even though not translated into the actions that would make them punishable under the laws of man. Similarly, if a person performs a seemingly righteous act, but does so for the wrong reasons, such as to achieve a selfish purpose, his hands may be clean, but his heart is not pure. His act will not be counted for righteousness. And that was by Elder Dallin Oaks. Verse 6, Now seeing that I know these things, why should I desire more than to perform the work to which I have been called? Why should I desire that I were an angel, that I could speak unto all the ends of the earth? For behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word, yea, in wisdom, all that he seeth fit that they should have. Therefore, we see that the Lord doth counsel in wisdom according to that which is just and true. Isn't it interesting that Alma, having had this wish to be an angel, is now, uh, his, his speeches are now in multiple languages throughout the world. Uh, very interesting. Orson F. Whitney said, Many beautiful lessons might be drawn from this passage of Scripture, but I only have time to dwell upon one. It tells me that providence is over all and that he holds the nations in the hollow of his hand, that he is using not only his covenant people, but other people's as well, to consummate a work stupendous, magnificent, and altogether too arduous for this little handful of saints to accomplish by and of themselves. Alma seems to have thought for the moment that man was doing God's work for him, instead of which it is God who is doing his own work and using men as his instruments. Nor is he limited in the choice of instruments to his own people. He sways the scepter over all nations, and they, all, they are all playing into his hands, knowingly or unknowingly. Alma knew this, but had momentarily lost sight of it. All down the ages, men bearing the authority of the holy priesthood, patriarchs, prophets, apostles, and others, have officiated in the name of the Lord, doing the things that he required of them. And outside the pale of their activities, other good and great men, not bearing the priesthood, but possessing profundity of thought, great wisdom, and a desire to uplift their fellows, have been sent by the Almighty unto, into many nations, to give them not the fullness of the gospel, but that portion of truth that they were able to receive and wisely use. Such men as Confucius, Confucius the Chinese philosopher, Zoroaster, the Persian sage, Gautama or Buddha or the of the Hindus, Socrates and Plato of the Greeks, these all had some of the light that is universally diffused and concerning which we have this day heard. They were servants of the Lord in a lesser sense and were sent to those pagan or heathen nations to give them the measure of truth that a wise providence had allotted to them. Heber G. Grant said, Perhaps there is no other passage, no single chapter in all the Book of Mormon that I have preached from as often as I have from that 29th chapter of Alma. I commend to all Latter-day Saints when the conference pamphlet is published to read what Elder Orson F. Whitney said about the inspiration of God being given to men in all parts of the world. We endorse his remarks. Joseph Fielding Smith said, In this present glorious dispensation in which all things are to be gathered in one and the work of the Lord eventually to be consummated so far as the salvation of men is concerned, the Lord has placed within our power the means by which the voice may be carried forth to all parts of the earth, not in a manner to shake the earth, but in a manner that the message of salvation may be proclaimed to the thousands, perhaps millions, scattered on all the face of the earth. In the days of Alma, such powers were not available to the preachers of the plan of eternal life, and they were to be content with the things which the Lord allotted unto them. But in this day, these means have, by the grace of God, been placed at our disposal. 
The prophet Joseph was only 25 years of age when the translation of this book was completed. How did he know that the gospel was, be, was to be preached unto every nation in their own tongue? How did he know, except by the spirit of revelation, that you Latter-day Saints would raise up sons unto the Lord who would be instructed in foreign languages and leaving their mountain home would go forth, or California, would go forth and preach the gospel in Germany, Russia, Scandinavia, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and France, and on the isles of the sea, preaching in the tongue. Okay, I added those last few things there. And on the isles of the sea, preaching in the tongue of the people to whom they are sent. This prophecy is being fulfilled. Oh, how our hearts re should rejoice to know that the divine mission of Joseph Smith is being proclaimed every day of our lives and in almost every country of the earth. Verse 9. I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory in it. I do not glory of myself, but I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded me. Yea, and this is my glory, that perhaps I may be in may be an instrument in the hands of God to bring some soul to repentance, and this is my joy. Heber J. Grant said, I know of no joy on earth that can compare with that which comes to the heart of the man who is an instrument in the hands of God of saving some soul and turning it from that broad way that leadeth to destruction into that straight and narrow path that leadeth to life eternal. And behold, when I see many of my brethren truly penitent and coming to the Lord their God, then is my joy, then is my soul filled with joy. Then do I remember what the Lord has done for me, yea, even that he hath heard my prayer, yea, then do I remember his merciful arm which he extended towards me. Yea, and I also remember the captivity of my fathers, for I surely do know that the Lord did deliver them out of bondage. And by this did establish his church, yea, the Lord God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, did deliver them out of bondage. Yea, I, I have always remembered the captivity of that. Yea, I have always remembered the captivity of my fathers. I'll have to edit that part out. Not very dignified. <clears throat> when the angel visited with Alma, he was told to always remember the captivity of his fathers. Here he attests that he has done that. And that same God who, who delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians did deliver them out of bondage. Yea, and that same God did establish his church among them. Yea, and that same God hath called me to, by a holy calling to preach the word unto this people, and hath given me much success, in the which my joy is full. But I do not join my own success alone, but my joy is full because of the success of my brethren, who have been up to the land of Nephi. Behold, they have labored exceedingly, and have brought forth much fruit, and how great shall be their reward. Now when I think of the success of these, my brethren, my soul is carried away, even to the separation of it from the body, as it were, so great is my joy. Gordon B. Hinckley said, The Lord expects us to be good neighbors, Christians in every sense of the word, those who follow the golden rule, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. My brothers and sisters, we must be good neighbors. We must be a friendly people. We must recognize the good in all people. We don't go about tearing down their other churches. We preach and teach in a positive and affirmative way. We say to those of other faiths, you bring with you all the good that you have and let us see if we can add to it. That is the essence of our great missionary program and it yields results. Verse 17, and now may God grant unto these my brethren that they may sit down in the kingdom of God for the faithful, the day of probation ends at the day of death. Yea, and also all those who are of the fruit of the, and also all those who are the fruit of their labors, that they may go out, they may go no more out, but that they may praise Him forever. And may God grant that it may be done according to my words, even as I have spoken. Amen. I think it's off. It's awful cool that Alma, even though he wishes he was an angel, realizes that he shouldn't be wishing that, and yet he gets his wish. Uh, I think that the Lord grants uh, wishes to those that. Uh, are, are faithful to him 
and that uh, he's very merciful and kind in doing that. I bear testimony of the truth of the gospel and of the Book of Mormon and uh, that Jesus is the Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next time.